from the Alaska Airlines Studio. Presented by 2020lifestyles.com. This is The Blitz. The first look at the top stories in Seattle sports. They don't make them like us. We're not like everybody else. The rundown on everything Seattle sports on your way to work. Swing and a fly ball. Deep right center field. He did it again. And the stories everyone is talking about. This is the Blitz at Six. Good morning, friends. Welcome to the Blitz at Six. Lydia Cruz alongside with you, hanging out Friday, April 3rd. Thanks for being here this morning. Hopefully staying safe and sound. We do have an update for you. For those of you that are local here in Washington from Governor Jay Inslee, just a quick update on the stay-home order. Also... Where do things stand with Jadevian Clowney, the reported lowering of his asking price? Some thoughts from our own Brock Heward, our own Dave Wyman, on what this could mean for the Seahawks' ability to sign Clowney to a deal. Also, Marcellus Wiley, someone who knows about a similar injury to what Clowney dealt with, uh, with some thoughts on that and his recovery process. Yannick Ngakwe, uh, Unique Ngakwe, excuse me, uh, has made it clear that he wants out of Jacksonville and the Jaguars reportedly looking for a first round pick and more to trade him. Would you want to do that, Seahawks fans? We'll discuss all ahead in this hour, plus how the Mariners are coping in this time. We hear from Scott Service and Jerry DePoto right now. Let's get to your headlines. Yesterday, Governor Jay Inslee announced an extension of his emergency stay home order through May 4th to help. Uh, halt the spread of the coronavirus. This announcement extends a nearly a month the initial order that Inslee uh, had issued and closed thousands of businesses, public schools, and uh, much of of things in Washington. But the illness continuing uh, to make its way. There have been uh, we've seen the results of of social distancing and what we're able to accomplish here and and flattening the curve. So just uh, an update on this for you just real quick and want to direct you to our sister station Cairo 97.3 for more information. But if you are local, just wanted to give you that update. Uh, Some essential businesses, of course, staying open in this time. Restaurants can still provide takeout, just no dine-in service. So just want to keep you updated on that. Genevieve Clowney has been the topic of conversation all throughout free agency here in Seattle. And we heard the report Yesterday, that Clowney had lowered his asking price from the original 2021 million to around 1718 million. Diana Rossini on Clowney lowering his asking price. That 20 million asking price just seemed a little too steep for tons of organizations. Uh, going back just a few weeks ago, obviously Tennessee was involved, Seattle, as we know, are involved now. But, uh, you know, the Jets were interested at one point. The Cleveland Browns were even flirting a little bit with, with Jadavian Clowney, but that price just was a little too much. So now it seems that they're at a number that would make more sense. It's definitely getting more tensions from teams. And now what we're going to watch is to see if those teams that were initially interested when and that number was a little too high. If maybe they'll get back in on this. And the Seahawks, of course, uh, one of those teams. Our own Brock Heward on Blue 42 yesterday talked about the signing of Benson Mayoa and what this could mean for the Seahawks sending a message to Clowney. You know, I think the more that I've thought about it, this is probably just a clear indicator. Well, two indicators. Number one, they cleared cap space, um, not for this move, but they cleared that cap space for some flexibility if there is a move to come real soon. And number two, this is also telling Jadevian Clowney, like, listen, 
you know, we're going to sign other guys. Like, you, you don't have until the draft uh, to figure this out. And we have the leverage here. And you know what? If we're going to sign Benson Mayo, we may sign Everson Griffin. We may sign Clay Matthews. And guess what? Poof. You know, that, that money that we would love to give to you, be it $13 million a year or $14 million a year, or, you know, if we need to guarantee most of that or whatever, you know, they've got structure and feel comfortable with, it's there, but it's not going to be there forever. That was Brock Heward uh, later in the day to Dave Weinman with his own thoughts on where Clowney could end up. He thinks Clowney could take a similar offer elsewhere because he didn't get the initial offer. My way of thinking is that I think he's a pretty principled guy. And just some of the things and, you know, what happened in Houston, if he gets stung or doesn't get the money that he thinks that he he deserves that he's going to go somewhere else and i just feel like it's uh, you know for players a lot of times it's t- it's tough and i said this yesterday to tuck your tail between your legs and take something that is not what you wanted and so i feel like a lot of times players will go somewhere else to do that you know and and maybe even take the same amount of money because they don't want to come back you know if he had an expectation that the seahawks were going to pay him 20 million and they're only offering him 16 just to throw numbers out there then you know i i feel like he's not gonna he'd be more likely to go and take that from somebody else and go somewhere new on the afternoon show, Marcellus Wiley, the FS1 analyst, former defensive end, joined them to talk about Clowney lowering his asking price and how that could change the market. I think his agent is doing him a disservice. One, this is playing out in public somehow, some way. It's amazing if you watch some deals get done. Those deals are done. You know every term, you know the years, the amount. You know all the details. But then if some deals get done and you don't know anything about it, you just know that the guy is signed. Uh, I shouldn't know that Jadavian Clancy has an asking price of $20 million. And I certainly shouldn't know that he has an asking price that has now dropped to $17 million. Because now you turn into a swap meet where guys are going to start, and organizations are going to start saying, hey, if you went from 20 to 17 how does 15 look to you? Meanwhile, another name that has been uh, said in reference to Seattle, Unique Ngakwe, he's made it clear that he wants out of Jacksonville. The sides have been contentious there between the Jags and uh, Unique. But uh, according to Jordan Rannon of ESPN, the Jags are starting discussions for Ngakwe at a first-round pick and more. So pretty high asking price. It's worked in the past, though, for the Jags, at least in the term uh, in terms of Jalen Ramsey. The Rams gave up two first-round picks and a fourth-round choice. But keeping in mind, that was the Rams at the time who were kind of like that person that gets their brand-new credit card and then goes maxing out their credit card uh, and not really thinking about the long-term implications of that as now they're seeing some of those reverberations from handing out huge contracts and trading away a lot of their draft capital uh, to make a Super Bowl run there. And Gakwe made it clear, though, he won't sign a long-term deal with the Jaguars, but the Jags uh, seem to want to uh, trade him somewhere else. It's just, it, will the asking price be right? Paul Moyer, you could hear him on the Seahawks broadcast joining 710 yesterday and compared Clowney and Ngakwe, their skill set. One thing I really like about him, it's his, it's his age. Um, you know, and he's definitely a guy, you know, high motor guy. I think he has a more skill set as a pass rusher than Clowney. 
um, you know, as your your days get um, longer here with us, nothing to do. I decided to go and watch uh, the Green Bay game, you know, versus Seattle, the playoff game we lost. And I was just watching Clowney, and I, and Clowney is man, he's he's just a fantastic football player, but he doesn't have a necessarily go to speed rush move. Um, that works consistently. I, I still think he, he's got a high ceiling. I think he can be taught some of those. Um, and there's some other defensive ends, you know, or pass rushers that don't rely just on athletic ability. You know, they, they, there's a skill set to it. You know, they work their craft. And I think Clowney's at that point where he's going to have to really work to become a guy who has one or two moves that, you know, are darn near unstoppable. And it absolutely takes two guys to stop him. Marcellus Wiley also talking about Clowney's talent. He's saying it's second to none, even if you don't have those sack numbers. The talent is second to none. Uh, it hasn't fully translated to the production in terms of numbers. He's very disruptive, so it's unfortunate when it comes to contract time. All you're talking about is a financial number to get compensated for your production numbers. And that's where he loses some people. He's never had double-digit sacks. He, last year, playing through a sports hernia injury, only had three sacks. And I'm very familiar with what it looks like on the defensive end slash linebacker and how to get paid at that position. And you've got to get over that threshold of double-digit sacks. By hook or crook, I don't care if it's ten fumble snaps by the quarterback. You better fall on that ball ten times because if not, you can't justify earning a premium at that position. Paul Moyer also had some more thoughts in general on the defense yesterday that I thought were interesting. Talking uh, talking about the scheme changing a little bit last year. Hey, look, to me, their their scheme changed last year. Um, they tried to say it didn't, but I I didn't see the same type of stuff we were doing in in the past. And I'm not sure if it's just they didn't have as much trust uh, with some of the safeties and corners. And I'm sure that was part of it. Um, maybe they felt like their offense could keep them in every game, so let's let's just go with the old adage of make them work for it, right? And if it's five minute drive and eighty yards, and they kick a field goal, we're fine with that. So those were some of the statistics there. But he, he's got to prove himself this year because on paper, at least the names look good. Um, I think we need to become a more physical football team. What does he mean by that? Well, Paul Moyer talking about watching that playoff game against Green Bay and the Seahawks simply not physical, in, in his opinion, enough. You know, again, I'm watching that Green Bay game today, and we just didn't take it to them. We weren't physical. Um, we, we did too much mirroring with people, just almost letting them run out of bounds. Um, I, I don't know who we fear any longer. You know, even our linebackers, who are very good linebackers, they're not thumpers. You know, they're, they're, they don't strike fear in you. They're great athletes and they're good football players. And I think that's what Ken, if there's one thing I would challenge them on, is they just got, they got to become a really physical football team again. I, I just think we, we took a step back when, uh, at least watching the, the last game I saw him play last year. I might ask Danny O'Neill about that. Up next on The Blitz, he joins us. Plus, we've been doing the 710 Rewind, rewatching old games together as part of Danny and Gallant in the morning show. So I want to talk to him about the next one on our docket. Plus, we also got a sports movie that's on our list. What is the best sports movie of all time? It's next on The Blitz right here on 710 ESPN Seattle. From the Alaska Airlines Studio, this is The Blitz. 
Welcome back to the Blitz at 6. Lydia Cruz alongside with you Friday, April 3rd. Like many of us, we've probably been burning through a couple of books, a couple of movies, TV shows during this time. And sports movies have been a big one for me lately. Danny O'Neill, how are you, my friend? I'm good. How are you, Lydia? I'm excellent. And I love that the morning show is doing a pretty cool thing called the 710 Rewind. And so far, we've done two, right? Yes. We watched uh, the the Heart of Darkness, which is the Charlie Whitehurst game in Cleveland. (laughs) The worst football game ever played. Because I, I, I am of the firm belief, and I actually think that this is paying off. Paul needs to suffer. Yeah, Paul needs to suffer through what we went through before he gets to the, the, the land of milk and honey that is the Russell Wilson era. Like, you need to show him what it was like before before the dawning, before we knew it was Russell. But when we were all in that stage of like, oh, man, this is painful. Mm. Is this really, are we really worth, and we watched Russell's first game, which is not a great game. They got a chance to win it at the end. They just can't put it in the end zone. Not a great game either. We're going to watch the Fail Mary game. Which actually, I have a, I have a, I have some mixed emotions about the name of that. I thought I came up with a better name. <gasps> Let me hear. Golden, the Golden Fleece. The co- yeah, I like that. <laughs> I know. I was, I was really proud of it, and and I came up with it kind of that night into the next day. I wrote it a few times, and it didn't come close to catching on. I even tried to argue against the fail Mary, saying that it wasn't really a hail Mary. It was from like twenty five yards out. Yeah, like that's not guys. a hail Mary. Like that's he he threw it into the end zone. But yeah, um, my my nomenclature did not stick. Although I don't know, was I expecting to get royalties or a pat on the back? I'm like, hey, yeah, that's my name. You know, but, Danny, yeah. true greatness sometimes it's not appreciated in its time. So you know, maybe later down the road they'll recognize the Golden Fleece as the true and rightful name. Or maybe I'll grow up and not be so hung up about that. <laughs> that too, but no, I like I like our option better. Uh, but also, watching some sports movies has been a part of my life for the past couple of weeks, and we're going to watch one together as a show. One of my favorite movies. So we've had this, and it's been a little sporadic. We're going to stick to a schedule now. Wednesday night is movie night for Danny and <gasps> yeah. Wednesday night is movie night, and then we'll have a Thursday matinee where we discuss the movie. Um, we've done so far, we've done angels in the outfield, which, um, bothered me because it was cheating. It rewarded cheating. Yeah. Have you seen that film? Yep. It's been a while, but yeah. Yeah. The movie, the movie embraces supernatural interference. Like there's angels pulling on foul poles, interfering with opponents. It's ridiculous. Come on. Like it'd be based on your talent. Yeah, absolutely. Like if if we're all fired up about the Houston Houston Astros banging on a few trash cans, that's nothing to having like a half dozen angels running around out there wreaking havoc on people. Very uh, true. Then we did Vision Quest, which is my favorite sports movie ever. Oh, okay. Matthew Modine preparing to face Shoot. Shoot, who is the legendary opponent, and it's about a guy, uh, a young man who also happens to have a young lady move into his parents' house, fulfilling every 17-year-old young man's dream, uh, Linda Fiorentino. And he trains, and he finally, it's about, it's about giving your best and committing yourself to something that you're not quite sure if you can do, and even right up until the end. I thought he was going to lose the match and it was going to be all about, and then he pulls it out against Shoot, who'd never been beaten. Uh, and... I Paul didn't pan it. He certainly didn't have as negative opinion as I did, but I think he thought it was a little bit corny. Plus, there's Madonna in there. Yeah. Madonna makes, it, makes a big screen appearance. This week is Mighty Ducks. This week is Mighty Ducks. So Vision Quest was one of your favorites, with, yes. and Angels in the Outfield was one of Paul's favorites, right? He said it's the movie he's watched the most and can basically recite uh, ad nauseum. Wow, so, wow, wow. Uh, okay. Yeah. 
So, right. and now, now we're going to go to Mighty Ducks, which is a movie I have not seen. And I've been told that Paul has very strong opinions about Gordon Bombay. Yeah. Yeah. They've made their way into the show several times okay. he, that he's a terrible person. Okay. And so, yeah. so I've been warned. I need to pay a special attention to that character study. So yes, yeah, those, are, those are two things we're doing in the next week. I love that. So, okay. Mighty Ducks is one of my favorite movies. I, I may or may not actually have a, a Mighty Ducks sweater that I'll wear on that day when we discuss. But, uh, what is your favorite adaptation? Cause you also are a huge reader. What's your favorite book to movie adaptation when it comes to the sports world? Because I think there's a couple of great choices. I was watching Moneyball the other day, which is why it comes to mind. And Friday Night Lights also is another one up there for me. Yeah, I like Friday Night Lights. And and I thought Friday Night Lights, the book, is one, is one of that would probably be in my top 10 sports books ever. I thought that was really well done. Um, I liked Moneyball. The one thing... The one thing that's funny about Moneyball is how hung up they become uh, uh, on the first baseman, like how <laughs> absolutely fixated they become. And that guy wasn't that important. Like the weird, the weird part about that story is that they get a lot of the friction between the characters correct, mm-hmm. but it's over the wrong things, and they kind of undersell the point. And this was something that was a criticism for all of the time. What's what's the first baseman's name? Scott. Oh shoot. It's the guy, and he used to play for the Royals, and it's the guy that Bean basically wants to force. He has to force uh, the manager Art Howe, who's played by Philip Seymour Hoffman, mm-hmm. to to play to play him by trading the other guys that was there. Mm-hmm. Um, they, they don't ever. They kind of gloss over the fact that the best players on on that A's team were guys that did not quite fit oh, the Moneyball approach. Like Chavez, yeah. Chavez is one of the very best players. He's a guy that dra- drafted out of high school, which Billy Bean doesn't think you should too. So I, I thought that was funny, but I think that's a, I think that's a really good movie. I'll have to think about the other ones. Fever Pitch, Fever Pitch is a bad ad- adaptation because they took a really great soccer book and turned it into a baseball movie starring Jimmy Fallon and Drew Barrymore. But that's a really good. I think I think Fever Pitch is one of the things that comes as close as it gets to what it means to be like a devoted and true fan. Mm-hmm. Um, I, it's about it's about uh, Nick Hornby. It's autobiographical. It's and he's a he's an Arsenal supporter. Uh, about that. Best adaptations though. That's that's a good question. You have to think about. It. Okay, final final question. What sports movie requires the biggest suspension of disbelief? got to be field of dreams right yeah i mean yeah you know any okay so if we take movies with ghosts out of it (laughs) (laughs) we'll take angels in the outfield we'll take a field of dreams out of it we take ghosts uh which one requires the biggest suspension like when it comes to the gameplay that's one thing i'm really curious about like like, that wouldn't happen or um i'll have to think about some other examples but think on that question because maybe we'll revisit it rookie of the year yeah probably 12 year, or, 12 year old having having some sort of flamethrower attached to his shoulder and it's just because his like ligaments healed the yeah wrong, in the incorrect he's like, way he's like some sort of like Im- image prepubescent wolverine or something i'm not sure what was going on there yep um that 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 might be it little big also, league maybe yeah. you have the child manager of the minnesota twins sudden death Sudden oh. Death is a Jean-Claude Van Damme movie in which he has to defuse a bomb that's in a scoreboard above the the, the hockey arena. Yeah, I think we found and, it. And he ends up playing goalie in a game. <laughs> and, and if you know anything about Jean-Claude Van Damme, and I love Van Damme movies, um, I, I, I earnestly love them. 
Uh, <laughs> it's that Van Damme loves to do the splits. Like I am, I am forty five percent convinced that this movie started with the simple premise of how do we get Van Damme to play goalie so he can do the splits repeatedly because he loves doing that. I and, think we and, have a winner, and it and it, and it happens. Yeah, sudden death with oh. uh, twice twice the Van Damage. Ah, oh, I love it. Thank you so much, Danny. I look forward to talking about uh, movie week next Wednesday. Well, next Thursday, excuse me, matinee time. So thank yep, you, Mike. That's right. Thank Thursday you, matinee. <laughs> Danny O'Neill, listen to him every morning from 7 to 10 a.m. right here on 710 ESPN Seattle. Up next on The Blitz, Scott Service and Jerry DePoto both joining 710 yesterday to talk about where the Mariners are at right now, how they're keeping in touch with one another, how they're keeping in shape and training together at this time. It's next on The Blitz right here on 710 ESPN Seattle. You're listening to The Blitz from the Alaska Airlines Studio. Welcome back to The Blitz at 6. Lady Cruz alongside with you Friday, April 3rd. Thanks for hanging out today. want everyone to be safe and healthy out there and give you a little entertainment, a little distraction during this time. Thank you also to everybody who is working essential jobs right now, has to go into the office and is taking care of all of us out there right now. That was a topic of conversation yesterday on with first Danny and Gallant, and then also on uh, later Scott Service joining, I believe, Tom, Jake and Stacy later in the day, uh, both to talk about what the Mariners are doing at this time and how they are coping in this situation, how key communication has been uh here is scott service on with tom jake and stacy what have you been up to i mean everybody had to leave spring training kind of suddenly everybody maybe left at their own pace but what have you been up to personally and what's your uh, communication with the team been like yeah it's, it's been a trying time for everybody no, no doubt with what's going on um you know around our country and everybody taking uh the virus as, as serious as we should but uh, as far as our team and our players are concerned uh been in contact with our guys. Uh, you know, we set up different, uh, you know, social media, Slack, different things like that so our players can communicate and, uh, you know, conference calling with our coaching staff once a week. Uh, we put together call lists. So I've got each coach kind of in charge of uh, five or six guys. They check in with them once a week, kind of find out how they're doing, how their families are doing, how they're spending their downtime, and, and if they're able to get in any physical activity at all keep up their fitness level a little bit of course you know with the social distancing it is challenging some of our guys you know do have situations where they have a little home gym or something set up in the garage or hitting off a tee uh, into, a, into a net uh, our pitchers are trying to keep their arms loose but it's really challenging and, and again baseball is just secondary to what we have going on but i think we've done a pretty good job of staying in touch with our guys so far uh, what has this, you know, situation been like? What has the transition been like for for you and for your coaching staff to be in the middle of spring training, preparing, uh, you know, getting the the rituals, you know, going through, and then all of a sudden for it just to come to a stop? How has that been for you personally? Do you feel like you're waking up every day just kind of itching to to get going, or has it been something where? Uh, you guys been you have personally been able to just kind of relax and and spend time with family. Uh, well, yeah, anytime you you know you get involved with you know whatever we do in any of our jobs, it just becomes a little bit a part of who you are, and, and you get used to that routine. And certainly, 
I don't know if anybody's got as much routine as baseball has with all the all the games we play and you know it's the constant you know grind of going through it every day and, and you love it you know you love it as a coach you loved it as a player uh, I think that's what makes our game special and the fans love it you know they have something to look forward to every day follow the team uh, whether it's listening on the radio or watching games on TV or getting a chance to come to the ballpark and see us so it becomes part of your lifestyle so it is an adjustment. Uh, I miss it dearly. Uh, I, I, it's one message I've given to all of our players through talking to them or text messages is, you know, we can never take this for granted. And I think as we've seen things change throughout society and in our culture, uh, things are going to change. You know, they're going to be a different for quite a while, um, you know, going forward. So, you know, along those lines, you try to, you know, stay positive. Uh, you try to, you know, to read as much as you can, stay up on things, try to pick up a couple things that might help you down the road. But the big thing with, with our guys is, you know, making sure we are talking to them and even the coaching staff. You know, it's nice to get on a, a Zoom chat or Microsoft Teams and see everybody and, and talk to everybody once a week and kind of get the razzing back and forth and whatnot. Just to you miss that. You miss the camaraderie of the team setting, and we just don't have it right now. We will get it back, and everybody's dying for that day to come. That connection uh, being made any way possible there. Scott Service uh, talking about the way players are staying connected. Zoom chat, I hear, by the way, I think they had like 20, 30 million daily users, and now they are up to 200 million users. So uh, pretty incredible that people are still finding those ways to stay connected. Also, Mariners GM Jerry Depoto was on Danny and Gallant earlier in the day yesterday talking about some similar subjects. It's such a strange time with no sports, but we do see different things that, that have that have happened um, around the game. And I was interested just to talk to you about kind of kind of how you try and keep guys. We talked a little bit last week about keeping them on a training schedule. Um, has that has that continued? You guys just continue to stay in touch with your players. It has, you know, and, and part of, I, I guess, dealing with the situation that we're all in now with the, the COVID virus sweeping really the world, we are communicating in different ways and on different levels than we ever have before. And I, it's it's been pretty unique to see it evolve so quickly. Just in the couple of weeks that, that we've had to deal with this, the the it started with checking in with players from our medical team. Uh, from their perspective, we were checking in on a daily basis, whether it be a phone call or a text, just to check on the health and well-being of our players, our our players' families, etc. And you know that has escalated into continued check-ins on on their health, and as well as our strength and conditioning people, members of our coaching staff, up and down our system. Uh, reaching out, almost creating a buddy system type routine where each coach has six or eight players that they're responsible for touching base with every week. And, and there's another couple of coaches who are a little bit more, uh, social in, in the way that they use social media and stay in touch with the players virtually every day that way. And, you know, we've started a lot of, uh, let's say individually built, uh, training programs that are based on whatever the player has access to. Some have access to built out, you know, gyms and, and big areas where they're able to go out with a single partner and, and, and play catch and others don't have access to much at all. So we're having to be creative and, and it's been, it's been fun to watch how creative our people are and, and how well they're handling this. I can imagine it's a very difficult 
time just to stay in contact with everyone with the amount of people that are on the roster right now, especially seeing as we barely got through any of spring training before all these changes went down. This is maybe a weird question to ask, but on a team that's that's this young, is is there any one player who has handled this situation the best? And I ask it from the perspective of, you know, with a young team like this, is there anyone who's maybe in this weird time stepped up and really proven themselves to be someone that potentially could be a real big leader for you guys down the road? Well, it's 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 guys that we knew going in had already started to show those traits and. And as we've gone through this type of crisis or adversity that we're facing now, it, it, it seems even more apparent that they're stepping up as leaders. And, and they did throughout the spring. Uh, one of the, the guys who really led the charge in that era was Marco Gonzalez. And you know, it, it, it's not lost on anyone, even dating back to the offseason or anywhere over the last three years that we've talked about, you know, Marco's character and what he brings to the table and, you know, his leadership traits were, were definitely uh, more obvious as we went through this in the spring. I'd also point out Kendall Graveman, who we picked up as a free agent and, and was throwing the ball really well as a, a returnee from Tommy John surgery and really became a leader on the pitching staff and, and was cited by so many of our guys as a, an example player, you know, the way you want it to be done. And then the young group of players, the nucleus of players that we have you know, advertised building around, the guys like Evan White and Kyle Lewis and Jake Fraley and Jared Kelnick, and you know, they've all been so mature in handling this. And, and I, I think it's, it's good to point out that we don't really have a choice. You know, like everyone else in the world, we're dealing with something that we have to deal with, and, and we're just following the guidance of the CDC and the experts who know but we do have we do have character players who have stepped up and led through a time where we have to be led. Good to hear about those team leaders. Marco Gonzalez, we've seen even some videos from him online as well. But Jerry Depoto on Danny Gallant yesterday, full interview is there for you on the podcast page of 710sports.com. Up next on The Blitz, it's time for the hot list. We've got a couple of NFL headlines to run through, including Derrick Henry signing his franchise tenure and where a long-term deal could be for him. And also, Tom Brady news. Uh, Don't worry, he's got a pretty spacious house that he rented, belonging to another athlete in Tampa Bay. It's next in the hot list right here on 710 ESPN Seattle. From the Alaska Airlines studio, this is The Blitz. It's time for The Hot List. Holy mackerel! The headlines for the day in sports every morning at 6.45. Heck yes! What are we missing here? A full breakdown of the top stories of today on your morning drive. Let's go! The NFL's chief medical officer, Dr. Alan Sills, He said Thursday that certain prerequisites will need to be met before the NFL regular season can proceed on time and games to be played in front of fans. The prerequisites include widespread testing for the coronavirus. Sills made these comments to NFL.com, and they uh, are two days after the league's general counsel, Jeff Pash, told reporters that the expectation is to begin the regular season as scheduled in September. But the conditions, according to Sills, that have to be met in order for the NFL to begin practices and games on time is the availability of 
coronavirus tests, point-of-care coronavirus tests, which are the ones able to yield quick results and can be done off-site from hospitals, and the removal of gathering restrictions due to the pandemic, obviously. So um, any of those, they differ from state to state and region, but the gathering restrictions due to the pandemic uh, have to be removed. Football has been the one major sport, one of the big four, whose calendar has been unaffected as of now by the coronavirus due to the fact it takes place in the fall. But OTAs pretty much out of the works as of now. That's not been official, but uh, you could expect potential. Uh, we don't know uh, beyond that, though, where things could uh, stand in terms of training camp and also uh, the regular season. Still said the NFL won't act in a vacuum when it decides on how to handle playing games and noted that they don't have a current timeline on when that decision could be made. So we'll keep you updated as much as we can. Paul Moyer, uh, Seahawks veteran. You can hear him on Seahawks broadcast. Also just one of the nicest people ever. Talked about yesterday on with Bob Even Moore, the defensive issues that this team had last year. He thought their scheme changed, whether they would admit it or not. Hey, to me, their, their scheme changed last year. Um, they tried to say it didn't, but I, I didn't see the same type of stuff we were doing in, in the past. And I'm not sure if it's just they didn't have as much trust uh, with some of the safeties and corners, and I'm sure that was part of it. Um, maybe they felt like their offense could keep them in every game, so let's, let's just go with the old adage of make them work for it, right? And if it's five-minute drive and 80 yards and they kick a field goal, we're fine with that. So those were some of the statistics there. But he, he's got to prove himself this year because on paper, at least the names look good. Um, I think we need to become a more physical football team. What does he mean about physicality, specifically what he saw in the Green Bay playoff game that caught his attention? You know, again, I'm watching that Green Bay game today, and we just didn't take it to him. We weren't physical. Um, we, we did too much mirroring with people, just almost letting them run out of bounds. Um, I, I don't know who we fear any longer. You know, even our linebackers, who are very good linebackers, they're not thumpers. You know, they're, they're, they don't strike fear in you. They're great athletes and they're good football players. And I think that's what Ken, if there's one thing I would challenge them on, is they just got, they got to become a really physical football team again. I, I just think we, we took a step back when, uh, at least watching the, the last game I saw him play last year. So what about the free agency moves that the Hawks have made, including shoring up some in their secondary? Again, I didn't like the depth in the secondary, particularly at corner. Um, we were relying on a bunch of rookies at linebacker when, when guys were getting hurt. Um, on offensive line, you know, it was unproven. We were moving guys from tackle to guard. You know, you're trying to figure it all out. I think this year they're going to have a much more set lineup. I think they'll feel good about going into the second team if, if they have to. So I think they've addressed everything from a depth standpoint. I think we're a good football team right now. But you've got to get playmakers. Um, You've got to get guys who can get interceptions. You've got to get guys who can get sacks. And that's why I think, again, someone like Clowney, we're going to have to make a splash before this thing's over. Jerry Depoto spoke with Danny Gallant yesterday, and we heard a little bit from him in this hour about staying connected and the leaders that have emerged on this team, including Marco Gonzalez and Kendall Graveman, not only in this time, but previously to that in spring training. But Jerry Depoto also with some comments on robot umpires, that topic of conversation brought up earlier by by Mitch Hanniger. Shannon Dreyer did an amazing interview with him, which you can 
uh, see and hear on 710sports.com. But then Daniel Gallant also asking a question, Mitch saying he wasn't a fan of robot umps and thought it would take away the defensive nature of the catching position. And Jerry Depoto on on what he believes about robot ops. It's it's a lot like instant replay. You know the the I guess the unintended consequence that you mentioned with strike zone uh, automation is something that we were exploring in the Arizona Fall League. You know industry wide this year, the Arizona Fall League we implemented uh, automated strike zone, and there were a lot of pitches that that came across the strike zone that physically or optically I guess they looked like balls to us. You know to to people who've been watching baseball for many years, but but they cross through a strike zone at such an angle that they do register as a strike. And and I guess the like with instant replay, when when we were able to slow it down and and create such vivid images, and you've got the string of a player's glove that's hanging and, and touching a base that, that determines whether he is or is not safe. I, that's the purpose I, I think is to get the calls right. Jerry Depoto also saying they're convinced they'll see some level of strike zone automation and that already testing robot umps for, for that process as well. Las Vegas Raiders free agent cornerback Eli Apple unable to come to a final agreement on a contract according to Adam Schefter. Apple played last season with the New Orleans Saints and now remains a free agent. He had agreed to a one-year deal with the Raiders on March 18th and had posted to Instagram that he was excited uh, about the journey to be a Raider. Hours after missing out on Apple, though, the Raiders reached an agreement with another defensive back. They added former safety Demarius Randall on a one-year deal. 24-year-old Apple has started 51 games over his four-year career with the New York Giants and the Saints. At times, been very up and down, though. Pretty mercurial ride. Three interceptions and 33 passes defensed. New Tampa Bay Bucks quarterback Tom Brady. He has a nice house to live in there down in Tampa. Just a short drive from the practice facility. He leased Derek Jeter's waterfront mansion on Davis Islands. Uh, I think he'll have enough space, maybe. It's kind of touch and go here, but 30,000 square foot home plus outside downtown Tampa. Uh, seven bedrooms, nine bathrooms, entertainment and billiard rooms. Yep, just just the, the uh, humble abode there for T12. Tennessee Titans running back Derek Henry signed his $10.2 million franchise tender, uh, the team announced yesterday. They're still committed, both sides are, on working towards a long-term deal before the July 15th deadline for franchise players to sign extensions. On Wednesday, Titans GM John Robinson said his team had hoped to sign Henry to a long-term deal, confirming that. Henry is now 26-year-old, just turned 26 in January, I believe. He won the NFL rushing title with over 1,500 yards last season and has posted consecutive seasons of more than 1,000 yards. The interesting fact, he's the third running back to get tagged and win a rushing title at any point in his career, along with Edger and James. And... Of course, Sean Alexander, rushing title in 2005, tagged earlier in that 05 season. Former Cougs and current Mississippi State coach Mike Leach made some waves on Twitter yesterday. I had to issue an apology for a now-deleted tweet that showed a meme of a woman knitting her husband a noose during self-quarantine. Leach removed the tweet, which was posted Wednesday night, uh, and apologized, saying, I sincerely regret if my choice of images in my tweets were found offensive. I had no intention of offending Anyone uh, among those critical of the post uh, were Mississippi State players, including 2019 Captain Errol Thompson and uh, several others. Wide receiver Sammy Watkins is staying with the Kansas City Chiefs. 
After agreeing to restructure his contract, according to the ESPN report, Watkins' new deal has a maximum value of $16 million, including $7 million in incentives and contains a no-trade clause. Well, we've been talking about Jadevian Clowney. It's almost just the watchword around here. And Diana Rossini, uh, this week reporting the drop in asking price for Clowney, went down from 21 to 20 million to 17 to 18 million. Here was Diana talking about Clowney's asking price drop and the subsequent interest that, that remains interest from both the Titans and Seahawks. That 20 million asking price just seemed a little too steep for tons of organizations. Uh, going back just a few weeks ago, obviously Tennessee was in. Involved. Seattle, as we know, are involved now. But, uh, you know, the Jets were interested at one point. The Cleveland Browns were even flirting a little bit with, with Jadavian Clowney. But that price just was a little too much. So now it seems that they're at a number that would make more sense. It's definitely getting more attention from teams. And now what we're going to watch is to see if those teams that were initially interested when that number was a little too high, if maybe they'll get back in on this. Phil Sims was on 710 yesterday and talked about how he thinks Clowney will end up back in Seattle. To Debian Clowney, I think when it all settles down, I, I think he'll end up with Seattle because he knows the place. He, I'm sure he feels a little bit comfortable there. He knows the defense. And um, uh, it just, it, I just don't see another team taking all that money and putting it on him and taking the chance that he, be, he could be gone quick as the season starts. And all of a sudden, here they are. You know, they're 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 in trouble. That's good news for Seahawks fans' ears. Uh, that's a wrap for the hot list in the entire Blitz at Six Hour. Danny and Glant coming your way soon. And remember, just a reminder that Governor Jay Inslee did announce an extension of the stay home order, the emergency stay home order, through May fourth. That's eleven fifty nine p.m. Monday, May fourth. So six weeks total for the stay home order. And just want everyone to be. Safe, healthy, and happy out there. And thank you to everybody, to healthcare professionals who are on the front lines of this, to all the essential workers who are still going to work amidst this and helping us keep ourselves safe, healthy, and happy. So thank you to all of you. I hope you have a great weekend. We'll see you back here next week.